God, we gather together this morning to commune with you. Lord, to sit under the teaching of your word and the power of your spirit with the believers gathered together. So Lord, may we exalt you, may we praise you, and may we worship you together this morning. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, two weeks ago, my wife came to me and said, Jake, we are behind. I said, behind on what? And Shelly said, we are behind on getting Christmas gifts for people. This is the beginning of October. Halloween is not even close yet, and we are already behind on Christmas shopping? Well, you have to know Shelly to know why she thinks that we were behind. You see, Shelly loves to give other people gifts, even more than receiving gifts. She loves to see the joy and expression on their faces as they open them. And to be honest, they don't even need to open them because she doesn't even need to wrap them because she'll say things like, do you want to know what I got you? <laughs> or do you, want, do you want to go ahead and open it? So if you will let her, my wife will let you open the Christmas gift that she has gotten you before Halloween. <laughs> do you know anyone like this? Someone who truly believes that it's better to give than to receive. Well, I want us to watch a three-minute clip that shows others with this same giving heart. Laptop 
my mom loves something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to give back to them. Now, I have the opportunity to give them something. Because you actually take the gift for your family, you're actually going to go home with both. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and thankful. Just happy. For your family? For what? My family, everything. You did make this decision, actually. And oh, you picked the Pandora child. How heartwarming is video like this? These children have much to teach us as adults today. I love the young man in the blue shirt. Did you notice what he said when he was asked so quickly to choose between the gift between himself and his parents? He said, I choose the gift from my parents because the Legos don't matter. Your family matters. Not Legos, not toys, family. So what matters to you? What are you willing to sacrifice for something greater? Well, today's passage is going to help us unpack that exact question. And hopefully by the end of our time together, God's word will have reoriented us to what truly matters. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We will begin in verse 14 and be finishing out the book this morning. So Philippians chapter 4. Starting in verse 14, Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. To the brothers who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So our passage today is about giving. And it connects us back to the previous verses. Verses 10 through 13, which Larry preached last Sunday. And if you remember, Larry mentioned last week that the rejoicing that Paul expressed in verse 10 for their financial support is not because his needs were met, but because of the pleasure God takes in their sacrificial gift on his behalf. So let's take a look at the ways giving pleases God. First, we are going to see that giving joins us in the advancement of God's mission. It joins us in the advancement of God's mission. Look again at verses 14 through 16. 
Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. We need to remember that Paul is in prison. Back in chapter 1, verse 7, we read, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So the trouble that he refers to here is no minor trouble. And he says that the Philippians had shared in this trouble. The word shared also means to fellowship in. This group of believers had fellowshiped with Paul in his imprisonment. Even though they were not there physically, their financial gifts were a way that they shared and fellowshiped in Paul's affliction. And he says that this fellowship was a kindness to him. It was beautiful, it was noble, it was splendid. Now why was it kind or beautiful or splendid that they shared in Paul's troubles? Was it the financial gift itself that was splendid? Or was it something more? You see, although the giving of the gift was a kindness, Paul has something greater in mind, and he saves the full expression of that greater something until verse 18, which we'll look at in a moment. But for now, we notice in verse 15 that their giving joined them in the advancement of God's mission. He highlights that they had a unique partnering relationship with him. It was exclusive. No other church, he says, had entered into a relationship with him like they had. In other churches, he had worked as a bivocational missionary and church planter. We know this from passages like 2 Thessalonians, when he writes, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. And again in Corinth, To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, And we labor, working with our own hands. But then we see in Philippians, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, this church had an exclusive financial gospel partnership with Paul. Now, when we normally think of a partnership, we think two parties. But this gospel partnership is not between two parties, but three. Between Paul, the Philippians, and God through the gospel. Gordon Fee writes this, their partnership with Paul was not so much one-on-one as it were, but a three-way bond between him, them, and Christ, the gospel. And this three-way bond has a purpose. It has a mission. 
And the mission is the gospel. So Paul had partnered with this church in Christ Jesus for the advancement of his gospel. This is why Paul greatly rejoiced in the Lord back in verse 10. Because giving joins us in the advancement of God's mission. Secondly, we will see that giving produces fruit in us. It produces fruit in us. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul is clear here that he is not seeking the gift. He is not writing to them covertly asking for more money. No. Instead, the gift, instead of the gift, he seeks their fruit. He wants something on their behalf. Paul is in humble, other-centered pursuit for their good. So what is the fruit that Paul seeks so desperately for them? Is it more money? Is it health, wealth, and prosperity? Well, Paul has already told them and us what the fruit is in the beginning of his letter when he prayed for the Philippians. He prayed that they would be back in verse, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you recall, when we study the beginning verses together, Paul pulls this imagery of the fruit of righteousness from Old Testament passages like Amos 6, verse 12, and Proverbs 3, 9, and 11.30, which all refer to righteous behavior. In the New Testament, John the Baptist would say it this way, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We noted then, and we must note now, that this righteousness does not come from ourselves, as though we could bear such fruit on our own. Philippians 1.11 does not even call us to bear this fruit. Instead, it calls us to be filled with it. And when we get to verse 19 in a little bit of chapter 4 this morning, we will see that God is the one who supplies all in and through Christ. So they are beginning to produce the fruit which Paul had prayed for them in the beginning of his letter. It was an answer to his prayers. And notice that this fruit it increases to their credit or accrues to their account. We might say it pays dividends. Dividends are simply regular payments of profit made to investors who own a company's stock. So God, the creator and sustainer and owner of all that the universe holds, offers an accrued profit from his own possessions to all who will invest in his kingdom. Malachi 3.10 will put it this way. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. And then listen to this. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So our giving produces fruit 
in us. It pays godly and heavenly dividends. And then thirdly, we see that giving pleases God. It pleases God. Look at verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul continues to clarify that he does not need more. He has been paid in full. And their full payment was not simply sufficient, but lavishly generous, abundant. And Paul then transitions from us to, he transitions us to Old Testament language to describe the Philippians' gifts. And this transition not only moves us from banking and financial metaphors, but to a, excuse me, moving us from a banking metaphor to a religious one, but also from one recipient to another. No longer does Paul view himself as the primary recipient, but rather views God as the ultimate recipient of the Philippians' gifts. And Jesus' words will be helpful for us as we look at Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40. Jesus says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. Listen to this. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Paul clearly understands this principle that every good thing we do for another in faith is ultimately a good done for the Lord. And he uses this beautiful Old Testament imagery to communicate just how pleasing their gifts were to God. Imagery of the burnt offerings that were the pinnacle of worship under the Old Covenant. Again, Gordon Fee comments here, the picture is that of the aroma, the sacrificial fire wafting heavenward into the nostrils, as it were, of God. When properly offered, it was a fragrant offering, acceptable and pleasing to God. We know this from passages like Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, an off- a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Over time, this imagery began to take on a spiritual meaning as well. In the Old Testament, Psalm 51, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. No, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And then in the New Testament of Christ, in Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. 
a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then of us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then finally, of our gifts in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So in summary of these verses, the financial gift that they had received from Paul was not simply sufficient. It was lavish. But the ultimate recipient of their lavish generosity was not Paul. It was God himself. Whatever they had done to Paul, the least of these, they had done as unto the Lord. And how does God view these gifts, these offerings, these sacrifices? They were fragrant. They were acceptable. They were pleasing. So ultimately, our giving pleases God. Fourthly, we see that our giving reveals our dependency upon God. It reveals our dependency upon God. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know, one of the primary reasons that we don't give is that we don't truly believe. At the core of who we are, we don't believe that God will supply our every need. Just this week as I was preparing to preach, I got this text from my wife. They just paid off half of ADU. I'm like, that's really good. Getting something paid off is really good. Then the next text was layered. And then laved. They layered our ADU. Layer sounds pretty good. I like seven-layer uh, seven Mexican dip, right? That's good. Well, then I get a random text from our newly installed uh, elder, Jerry Lassiter, praying for you and Shelly right now. I'm like, dude, that's nice. New elder, praying, that's awesome. Well, then I started to read the rest of Shelly's text. They just paid off half of your ADU. Layered, laid, I'm one of them. Do you realize what I've just told you? So after some careful deciphering, I understood that Shelly had just been laid off from her job, along with 88 of her other co-workers. Now, we both work full-time in salary positions, and our household is built upon a dual income. So this is a pretty significant hit to us. And in that moment, and I hate to even admit this publicly, my first thought of how we were going to make it through it was to reduce our generosity, specifically to cut our Gen 12 giving. That's specifically those neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor funds that we have been setting aside all year long for when we come into contact with someone in need where we can meet their physical needs and share their spiritual needs with them as well. Because we, we've not met those folks yet. So each month I've been moving monies into an electronic envelope and for us we've set aside a pretty good chunk of change and here I am 
thinking about keeping those monies for myself. You see, in that moment, I was being tempted to be self-protective and self-sufficient. I was thinking that my closest neighbor was me. I, I even sanctified it a little bit more than that. My closest neighbor was Shelley. But I realized that I am not self-dependent. I am God-dependent. And this verse, verse 19, was in my mind. It was reorienting me. It was reminding me of those truths that God is my hope. And if I truly believe that God will supply my every need, then I am free. I'm free to release my well-being and even my finances into His fully capable hands. Now, I know that that does not mean that Shelly and I will necessarily live in prosperity, in luxury, because we're reminded that this letter was written to a poor and suffering congregation. But the point is this. We can make it through anything in and through Christ. This is why Paul would say in verse 13 of chapter 4, I can do, I can persevere all things through Him who strengthens me. And this is because God's riches flow most extravagantly to us in and through Christ Jesus. As the old hymn, He giveth more grace by Annie Johnson Flint reminds us, His love has no limits, His grace has no measure, His power no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Summarizing much of what we have heard Paul saying throughout this whole letter to the Philippians, Gordon Fee helpfully writes again, and it will be on the screen behind me, one cannot imagine a more fitting way for this letter to conclude in terms of Paul's final word to them personally. In the midst of their poverty, God will richly supply what is needed, steadfastness, joy, encouragement in their need to advance in the faith with one mindset god will richly supply the grace and humility necessary for it in the place of both grumbling and anxiety god will be present with them as the god of peace my god paul says will act for me in your behalf by filling to the full all of your needs and church, this leads us to our fifth and final point. Giving glorifies God. It glorifies God. Listen to verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. These realities of what, is, what, what God is doing in and through the generosity of His fellow believers causes Paul to erupt in praise. He cannot contain himself, nor should he. The only proper and natural response to these truths is to praise and exalt and worship God. So our giving culminates. It reaches its climax. It crescendos in the glory of God. And this is fitting, right? Since the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So church, our giving 
does just that. It glorifies God. Now the letter closes with several greetings. But even more importantly, it ends with Christ. Verse 21 through 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You see, this letter began with Christ. In Philippians 1-2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends with Christ. In Philippians 4-23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It begins and ends with Jesus because He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. And He is ultimately what or better who this letter has been about. Remember Paul's words back in Philippians 1.21 when he says, For me to live is Christ. And then in chapter 3, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So, Christ, uh, so church, is Christ supreme in your life? Is He ultimately what your life is about? Do you live for Him? Is He the beginning, the middle, and the end for you? Are you willing to die for Him? Do you count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Him as your Lord? For if you do, your giving will reflect it. Because we know that giving joins us in the advancement of God's mission, that giving produces fruit in us, that giving pleases God, that giving reveals our dependency upon God, and ultimately giving glorifies God. So since Paul ends his letter to the Philippians by encouraging this church through reminding them of what their giving has accomplished, I thought it fitting that I end today's sermon by doing the same. I want to encourage you, North Wake, with what your generous partnership with our own missionaries and church planters have accomplished over the years. And it is something that we have done together. Because if you look around the room, go ahead and do so, we are not a mega church like some others. No, we're a small band of brothers and sisters who have joined together in the mission of God. And we are not a church of deep pockets. Some have referred to us as the church of many hands make light work. And that is true. But I want you to listen to what our many generous hands have done together over the years. See what God has done through our faithfulness to steward what he has given us i want it to encourage you i want it to fuel you for increased and continued generosity let it solidify your commitment to join us in god's mission so that he is pleased and glorified now and forevermore so starting with our giving on the slide behind me we have given over $2 million in direct missionary support and fundraising. We've given another $2 million 
to general international missions. We've given over half a million dollars towards North Wake Church plants. Another half a million to the cooperative program. Next slide, please. 372,000 we've raised through intermissions. 241 to Lottie Moon, which fully funds our missionaries on the field. 78,000 in short-term missions for a total of almost $6 million in total missions giving from this small little band of brothers and sisters with not so deep pockets. Now that's just a giving. What has this giving accomplished? In church planting, we have planted two local churches, six national churches. We have now two granddaughter churches, one which is Hispanic speaking, one international church plant, and we currently have another church plant in the pipeline. As church planting, what about international missions? 81 missionaries have been sent out of North Wake since 1994. 32 are currently on the field serving overseas. We have right now 25 people in North Wake preparing to go on the mission field that are in the pipeline. We have 65 supported mission trips for about 125 of our members. We've made 100 trips to visit our far-flung families for encouragement and support. The 115, we just stopped counting. We have at least 115 North Wake alumni who are serving in a ministerial capacity at another church. And all of that totals that we are the second most sending church in the Southern Baptist Convention. Look around the room. This is a small band of brothers and sisters who have joined together in generosity and sacrificial giving to participate in the advancement of God's mission. It's pretty good. So North Wake, let's continue to be generous. After, especially after looking at what we can do together and knowing these five truths, that giving joins us in the advancement of God's mission, that giving produces fruit in us, that giving pleases God, that giving reveals our dependency upon God, and ultimately that giving glorifies God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we got to hear how Paul encouraged this small, suffering church in Philippi. And we pray that the same words have encouraged us as well at North Wake. God, you get all the glory and all the praise and all the worship for anything that North Wake has accomplished. For it is not ultimately about us. It is supremely about you. So Lord, as we continue and advance our trust in you, knowing that you will supply our every need in and through Christ, would that free us up, Lord, to trust you with everything that we have. We love you, and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.